Well, good morning. So do you have your books picked out for summer reading? How, what, what, how many have books that, you, that they want to read this summer? All right, not too many, so I'm gonna help you, all right? So what we're doing is we're teaching books, either from the Bible or favorite books that have been impactful. That's what's gonna happen in the next few weeks. But if you're short on books and ideas about books, I'm gonna give you one and talk about it today. It's called The Life You've Always Wanted, and it's by John Ortberg. And this book changed my life. It helped me really connect with God in ways that I didn't know were possible. And I, it's an older book, um, and we've got copies in the bookstore, or if you're too cheap, you can borrow my copy. Um, it's missing pages, it has dirt stains and uh, artwork from three of my four kids, but you can totally have it. But um, if this message resonates, please go out and purchase this book. I think it will help you. Let me give you the, the, the thesis of it. It's that God wants us to engage him holistically. Specifically with our heads, our hearts, and our hands. And when we do that, when we engage God the way he told us to, we can experience the life we've always wanted. That's what the book is about, but the book tells us this path is not easy because it brings up the D word, discipline. And discipline is a hard thing because here's what discipline is. Discipline is literally uh, it keeps us from doing what we want to do. But, but here's, the, here's, the, here's the sunny side. Discipline frees us to experience what we most want to be, right? So, so that's where we're going. Uh, I, I don't know if you remember when you were a kid or not, but I was thinking about, you know, I had two sisters that were older, and, which meant I had three moms, and so I was always being told what to do, what I couldn't do, what I should do, and uh, one day I was sitting there as a kid, and I, I'll never forget, I was actually looking out the window and I thought, when I'm an adult, I will eat as many cookies as I want. <laughs> I will stay up as late as I want. I will pee in the yard as much as I want. <laughs> we live in the country. Um, now as an adult, I realize I can really do all that stuff. I can eat as many cookies as I want, I, I, can, I can, you know, stay up late and uh, you know, pee where I want, I can do it, I can do it. But if I do that, here's what's gonna happen, my waistline's gonna expand, my body's gonna start breaking down, I might do jail time, right? So, all, so there's consequences to our discipline, or lack thereof. And Orberg gives a great definition of discipline as we get rolling here. It's doing what we don't necessarily want to do now, everybody say now, so that we can experience what we want most later. So it's giving up the now for the later. It's saying no so that we can say yes. I, 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 I wanna say yes, but no to the cookies so I can have physical health. I wanna say yes to the binge watching of Netflix, but no, because I wanna develop a deeper intimacy with my spouse. I wanna say yes to outbursts of anger, but I'm gonna say no so that my kids actually trust my heart, right? And what happens is when we say no in spiritual discipline, we are saying yes to spiritual freedom. And spiritual freedom is another word for spiritual maturity, next definition. Orberg says spiritual maturity is this. It's living as Jesus would in our place. To what? What he would think, to what he would feel, and to what he would do. Head heart, hands. 
That's spiritual engagement. God wants us to engage our head and our hearts and our hands. And when we do that, that gets us in on spiritual freedom and gets us in a process of spiritual maturity. And that's what you're made for. You weren't made just to go to work. You weren't made just to have a family. All that's good. You were made to literally engage God with your whole being. That's the life you've always wanted. That's what you want in your heart. That's at the end of your life you will have regrets about. And so it's totally and utterly possible. And there's a text we're gonna use in 1 Timothy chapter four, if you have your Bibles with you, that will take us on a process towards spiritual discipline. 1 Timothy 4, 6. Paul's writing to his uh, mentee, Timothy. He says, if you put these things before the brothers, you will be a what? A good servant of Christ Jesus, being trained in the words of the faith and of the good doctrine that you have followed. Now, Timothy was a young guy. He was, he was single, he was scared, he was clueless. And what Paul is saying to him is, you need to embody what you're going to teach. And actually, Timothy, your job is not to do ministry, your job is to equip God's people to do ministry. And by the way, that's our job as, as your pastors. It's not to do the ministry, it's to help you do the ministry. And so what Paul is saying to Timothy here is you need to embody some stuff so that that leaks out to the church. So you need to be a good servant. Now a good servant in the first century was not just simply uh, someone who did, who did great service, it was someone who had great loyalty. It wasn't just their action, it was their attitude. It wasn't just their performance, it was their passion. It was heart stuff. And he's saying, Timothy, get the heart stuff right. And Timothy needed some heart work. He needed to engage his emotions. He was a guy who was absolutely terrified. Paul has to say repeatedly, like in 2 Timothy 1.7, God did not give you a spirit of fear. That's a word for somebody in the house. If you're afraid, if you're living in fear, let me just tell you something, that's not God. That's not God. God did not give you a spirit of fear. He gave you a spirit of power, love, and a sound mind. That's what he said to Timothy. That's what he's saying to us. Also, Timothy was insecure, which is another form of fear. He has to say to him in chapter one, verse, uh, verses four, uh, chapter four, verse uh, you know, one, he says, um, you, First Timothy 4, 12, sorry. Help me, it's the third sermon of the weekend. Don't let people look down on you because you're young. Stop letting people look down on you. God has given you this position. God has given you this, uh, you know, this role to you. Be confident and do what God is calling you to do. That is what it means to be a good servant. Engage God with your heart, but also with your head. Same verse, second part. Being trained in the words of the faith and of the good doctrine that you have followed. Did you know that Christianity involves your brain? Some of the smartest people who have ever lived, check me on this, were Christians. So if, you're, if you kind of have this image, this, this picture that Christians are kind of irrational and it's, and it's all mystical, you're actually wrong because you can engage your brain. And this is what he's telling Timothy to do and for the church to do. You need to know, as a follower of Christ, who God is. How are you gonna find that out? You're gonna read the Bible. You need to know what God, requ what God requires of you. How are you gonna know that? You read the Bible. 
How does God want you to treat other people? What does that look like specifically? Read the Bible, right? There's some stuff we've gotta learn. We have to engage our brain. You're like, I'd love to do that. How do I do that? That's why we do small groups. That's why we have ministries for men and women and youth, right? It's, it's, it's what the church does. We're helping engage our brains. Now, if you try to do spiritual disciplines without good doctrine, you're gonna get weird. Nobody wants to be weird. There's a few of us that do, but most of us do not wanna be weird. There's two ditches you'll fall in if you try to do spiritual disciplines without good doctrine. One, you will fall into the ditch of hypermysticism. Now, let me just say, Christianity is mystical, right? There's some components of it that are mystical. But if you don't uh, have good doctrine, you will fall into the ditch of hypermysticism, which basically is this. It's when you rejoice in God's presence more than you rejoice in God. Let me say it differently. It's when you rejoice in the experience of God's presence more than you rejoice in God. Some of you know, like you love, love, love worship. You can't wait till I'm done talking so we can sing more. <laughs> and I understand why you can't wait till I'm done talking, but there might be a problem there because it's all emotional for you, right? And so you're not really, you're not really thinking deep thoughts about God, you're just connecting to this experience of God because you're rejoicing in, in your experience of God's presence more than God. On the other ditch, you can fall into hyper-legalism. That's when you rejoice in your own commitment to God's laws more than God. You know these people very easily. These are the people that you feel judged by. Like they're not even saying anything and you feel like you gotta straighten up and watch what you say. Why, because they're just always, you know, always, you know, you gotta do this and you ought to do this and you should do this, oughts and shoulds, oughts and shoulds. So, so, so a good doctrine keeps you from both of those ditches. It actually helps us to rejoice in God, not just our experience of him or our commitment to him. Now, are you ready for some spiritual discipline stuff? You ready to kind of engage it? Well, you got an enemy that I need to tell you about and I'm not telling you about it, the Bible's telling you about it. Next verse. Have nothing to do with irreverent, silly myths. Rather, what's it say? Train yourself for godliness. Now, be a good servant, engage your heart, good doctrine, engage your head, train yourselves, this is the hands part. Now we don't know what the irreverent, silly myths were, but they are juxtaposed next to training for godliness. So it is likely that these irreverent silly myths were the opposite of training, which is trying. Now, the next verse talks and, and mixes this idea of physical discipline and spiritual discipline, but before we get to that, let me show you some people that you might remember. <laughs> Does anybody know this guy's name? Tony Little, that's his name, Tony Little. And that's the health writer, okay? Remember that? You may remember, you may have one of those in your basement that you'd like to confess that sin before the Lord and God's people. Tony Little said, I think it was 1499. I think it was 1999 and they dropped it. But anyway, he said basically, and, and kind of 
you know, led us to believe in the 30-minute infomercial. If you ride this health rider, you will have a body like me sans the ponytail, right? <laughs> so, what about this one? Remember this one? The ab rocker. Now, now this one was actually not a bad thing. You kind of take a nap and then work on your abs a little bit and kind of take a nap. And, but it was sold as, if you do this, and really this alone, you're gonna have a six pack. I'm not talking about beer, I'm talking about abs, right? <laughs> oh, ladies, you ready? Oh, ladies over 40, are you ready? <laughs> What's it called, say it with me? Yes, I knew it! Yes, thank you for that confession. Thigh master, don't worry about what you eat. D don't worry about anything. You're gonna look just like Suzanne Summers, thigh master. How about this one? Now this one isn't actually bad, but same thing is implied when they first came out, right? And they actually make them now with like a vacuum hose. You can actually vacuum while you work your abs. <laughs> but yeah, if you just do this and this alone, what are these things? These are all trying machines. These are all shortcuts. There's shortcuts in our physicality and there's shortcuts in our spirituality. And a shortcut says, this is the thing, this is the magic bullet, if I do this, I get big time results for everything. And it's a lie. Let me give you some shortcuts that may not feel like shortcuts, but they actually are. Coming to church. Listening to podcasts from favorite preachers. Worship music here or in your car. You say, wait a minute, are you saying I shouldn't? Podcasts, isn't that like a head thing? Right? Coming to church, serving, isn't that like a hands thing? Worship is, yeah, yeah, yeah. But if you just focus on one or two of those, you're doing shortcut. You're doing shortcut. You're selling thigh masters to yourself. Right? So, so shortcut spirituality is, listen, trying spiritual offerings without being trained for more spiritual engagement. Trying spiritual offerings. Like, let me try this, let me try that. And I'm not again, like especially in the serving realm, sometimes it takes three or four times, you know, serving in this and that to figure out what your sweet spot is. I'm not saying don't try different Bible reading plans or don't, I'm saying don't think that that and that alone is gonna give you the life you've always wanted. Because God wants to engage all of us. And you know this physically, right? You don't try to get a degree. Some of you with high IQs, you can kind of skate by, right? High school, college, maybe even all the way to your PhD, but those people are very rare. My daughter, Glory, taught me this. I think when she was a freshman, I walked into her room and on her bed was this tons of note cards and notebooks and highlighters. And I'm like, what are you doing? And she's like, well, this is my color code. Yellow means this and green means this and, and pink means this. And, and, and I said, why are you doing all this? She said, I'm teaching myself how to study. I was like, huh, that would have been useful in college. <laughs> she's 14. She knew that success educationally 
involve training, not just trying. You can try to take a test, you can try to get the degree, or you can train to study. And you can get all the degrees you want, probably. So training, you know this with education, we know this with marathons. Do not try and go run a marathon. (laughs) Unless you wanna get visited by one of the pastors in the hospital. Right, because you gotta train for it. Do not try, if you've not been lifting weights, to go bench press 300 pounds, right? But if you train, maybe you get there. What's training? I'm glad you asked. Ortberg says, it's when you arrange your life around certain practices, now get this, that will enable you to do what you cannot now do by direct effort alone. So you can't just go and run a marathon. Now, I'm just gonna do it. It's not gonna work. You've never done it. Can't do it now, but by training, you can do it later. See how this works? All those little gadgets I showed you, those were trying machines. They weren't training machines. So training is using my willpower. Or trying is using my willpower. Training is cooperating with the Spirit's power. Discipline is simply backing up your ambition with appropriate action. We don't just dream who we want to be, we train who we want to be. It works physically and it works spiritually. It's not willpower. Willpower may may get you going for a while, but it doesn't last, and let me tell you why. Remember that Bible reading plan you started in January? How's that going for you? Remember that time you said, I'm gonna pray for this many minutes a day? I'm gonna come to church more regularly? Yeah, you've been regular with your pastor, Pastor Pillow, more than you've been regular with Pastor Greg and Pastor Josh. Why, because we're trying, we're trying. What if we trained? What would it look like to train? How could we actually not just try harder but train smarter? What would that look like? Well, the word discipline in the New Testament tells us everything we need to know. It's from the word, uh, it is the word actually, gymnazo. Now what word do you think we get from gymnazo? Gymnasium, what is the gymnasium? It's the place of training. So this helps us, this physical, spiritual metaphor helps us. So he goes on into verse eight and he says, for while bodily training is of some value, Some value. So back off, CrossFit guy. It's of some value. (laughs) It's not not the thing. If if, If physical exercise is the thing in your life, you have what's called an idol that you're serving. So I'm all for exercise. Good. The Bible says it's of some value. It's good. But godliness is of value in every way as it holds promise for the present life and also for the life to come. So if you, if you discipline yourself, if you train yourself physically, what's gonna happen is you're actually gonna do well in this life. You're gonna probably live longer and it's, and it's gonna be awesome. But, but again, exercise, do everything. But there is not gonna be workouts in heaven. I have verses. <laughs> yeah, that ought to get some eight minutes going. Yeah give you permission to eat some barbecue today, whatever it takes, right? No burpees, no sit-ups, no thrusters, no running. We're gonna have perfect bodies. 
because we're gonna see him and we will be like him, right? That's what the text says. But spiritual discipline prepares you not just for this life, but also for the life to come. The purpose of spiritual discipline is not more spiritual discipline. That's hyper-legalistic thinking. The purpose of spiritual discipline is godliness. It's living as Jesus would live if he were in your place. It's thinking what he would think. It's feeling what he would feel. And it's doing what he would do. So some of you are like, all right, sounds intriguing. How do we do this? What does it look like? It, let's say I say yes to spiritual disciplines. I'm in, I'm gonna do it, I'm ready, let's go. What do you do? Well, first thing is, if you're gonna pursue spiritual disciplines, you gotta do it communally. It must be communal, meaning with people. Where do you get that? First Timothy 4, 6, the beginning. If you put these things before the brother, is that what it says? For the brother, brothers, solo spirituality is a shortcut. I'm glad you listen to your podcast. I'm glad you get your worship on in the car and look really weird when you're singing out loud at the stoplight. I'm glad you're doing all that. I'm glad you're serving. I'm glad that's all great. But listen, it's me and Jesus does not equal godliness. Say, so wait a minute, isn't Jesus enough? Yes, I would say, and I would ask you a question. Isn't Jesus' example enough? When he came to the earth, did he do solo spirituality? He had a solo mission that only he could accomplish, living a perfect life, dying a brutal death, rising again. Nobody else could do that. But when he did his spirituality, was he alone? No, he had 12 knuckleheads. They're called disciples. And by the way, if you're a little discouraged about your spiritual life, read the Gospels. You're gonna be strangely encouraged. Because <laughs> they said stupid things, they did wrong things, they made huge mistakes, even denying Jesus. Just think about it. Jesus did spirituality with Judas. You think your small group is dysfunctional. <laughs> God, that guy, I hope he's there. You call ahead, Are they, is so-and-so gonna be there? He, it might be bad, he's not Judas, all right? So just lose that excuse. It's not me and Jesus, it's we and Jesus. You gotta pursue this communally. Now, spiritual discipline also must be pursued intentionally, you gotta be intentional. And I think this athletic metaphor helps us here. Because as an athlete, and I don't know if you've been around elite athletes or professional athletes, they're training very, very specifically. And this is actually biblical. Paul picks this up in, in another letter he wrote to a church in the New Testament. He says, every athlete exercises self-control in all things. So, now he's switching to the spiritual metaphor, I do not run aimlessly. I do not box as if just beating the air. But I discipline my body to keep it under control. I remember we had a really good high school baseball team. Um, and like seven guys played Division One, and we, we, you know, we lost to the state champions and, and uh, on a bad call in extra innings, and I'll tell you all about that at some point, but it's really, not that I have regrets from 30 years ago, but that was really, <laughs> God's gonna have to make that right someday. But, but one of our guys, one of our guys 
made it to the major leagues. And you know, like when one of your buddies does something awesome, you're kind of living vicariously through him. So we are all just so excited for Corey, and I, I, I hadn't seen him in a couple years, and we, we go and hang out, and he's got kind of a tighter shirt on, and, and I saw him, he was walking towards me, and I'm like, what is wrong with his shoulder? His right shoulder, I'm not joking you, two and a half to three times the size of his left shoulder. I mean, it was so noticeable. You know, like when something's kind of weird with somebody, you, you just can't like not look away. Like so. <laughs> I said, bro, what's up with your shoulder? He's like, this is the moneymaker. I knew he was right-handed, I was his catcher. He said, you can't believe all the exercises we have to do with our throwing arm and stretches. He, he said, because this is what brings success. So I have to be intentional about developing this arm more than this arm. He said, I still work out and do stuff, but I have to be intentional, why? Because this is gonna help me succeed. Same with spiritual disciplines. And what happens is, and it's beautiful, and I'm asking him, like, dude, doesn't that get old? Isn't that like, he's like, you know what, I'm just used to it now. You know what he was saying? My intentionality has produced a habit that I do with not, not even thinking. It's just become something I do, right? This is your opportunity with spiritual disciplines. It just becomes habitual, meaning you don't even really think about it. It, it, it actually just kind of becomes routine in, in the best sense of the word, meaning the more you read the scripture, the more you read, the more you're gonna wanna read. And the more you pray, the more you're gonna wanna pray. And the more you serve, the more you're gonna wanna serve. And the more you give, the, the more you're gonna wanna give. It's just the way it works. The more you're in community, the more people that you want around you, except that one guy, right, we talked about, but everybody else. <laughs> now here's what keeps people from being intentional, because pursuing spiritual discipline will be painful. It will be, I promise you, I'm not baiting and switching you, it will be painful. And we know this from verse 10. It says, for, for to this end we toil and strive. Everybody say toil and strive. Because we have set our hope on the living God who is the savior of all people, especially of those who believe. The word toil is the word that means to labor, to fatigue. You, you give till you can't give anymore. And the word strive is literally the word agon. What word do you think we get from agon? Spiritual disciplines can be agony. You're just like praying and you're just like, these words are bouncing right off the ceiling. Where is God? You're trying to read the Bible and you're like, this is the most boring, non-relevant stuff in my life. What am I going to do? But what happens is, what happens is, the more you toil, the more you strive, the more you work, Listen, this takes some hustle, right? You gotta get, you gotta, you know, a lot of Christianity, I would say it this way, Christianity is 10% inspiration and 90% perspiration. You gotta work at it. You gotta work. Now, now to work at it means you gotta fight. And you have three enemies that, that wanna keep you from this. The one is your own flesh. And the Bible talks about the flesh in the New Testament, not talking about our skin. It's talking about the, the part of us, listen, that rebels against God. I am not gonna do that. That's, that's part of the flesh. Part of the flesh is 
it's when we want to be God. So we rebel against God and we want to be God. The world is another enemy. That's the corporate expression of the flesh. You want to know why it's hard at your job? You know why? You want to know why it's crazy when you hang out with your family? You want to know why you have stress in your home? It's really simple. You've got a bunch of people living in that part of them that doesn't want to submit to God, rebelling against God. And then you've got a bunch of people who think they are God. I just explained everything. Right? That's the world. So when you step into the world, that's what you're stepping in. It's gonna fight your, and the devil. And you're like, I don't know if I believe in the devil. Not a real, well, I want you to think about what you think about. Think about what you think about. Think about the thoughts that go on in your head. He does two things mainly. He deceives and he accuses. So he's constantly lying to you. Oh, you don't, have to worry. you don't have to stay with your marriage, man. Kids are resilient. Just get them out of the house. That's why so many people divorce when they become empty nesters, right? Because they believe that lie. And they haven't built intimacy. Everything was built around the kids. Like, like you, oh, you can take a shortcut financially. Everybody does that. No big deal. And yet white people going to jail for white-collar crime is astronomically escalating. Hey, you're not a seminary student. You can't study the Bible. Who do you think you are? You're not a prayer. God doesn't listen to your prayers. This church doesn't need you. You don't have anything to offer. Those are accusations. And you hear them all the time. And you will hear. And so you have to fight. And that is painful. But you have what it takes. You have God's spirit who lives in you, you have God's word, and you have God's people. You can do this. So let me close with two disciplines and three questions. Because in the book, and in any spiritual disciplines book, there's all kinds of stuff. There's stuff like solitude, which is a great discipline, where you're with God and God alone. There's stuff like confession, where you agree with God about your sin, both to God and to some people around you. There's all kinds of disciplines, but there are two main ones I wanna Double tap on right now. First is prayer, and here's what prayer is. It's simply talking to God and hearing from God. That's what it is. And some of you are like, I don't ever know what to pray. Well, let me ask you a question. What do you need? What do you mean, what do I need? What do you need? Well, I need a job. I'm out of a job. God can give you a job, ask him for it. I need my, we really have some issues in our marriage. We've been going to counseling, and we've been going to, we've been, have you prayed? I'm for counseling. I'm in counseling. <laughs> True story. But have you asked God, right? What do you need? I have cancer. God can heal you of cancer. He might use doctors. He might do it supernaturally. Have you asked him? See, prayer is just talking to God and then listening to God. Now, let me tell you what empowers prayer, I think, like nothing else. It's, and you should read, have a Bible reading plan and do that. I think that's good. I kind of mocked it a while ago, but it's good. You should study the Bible. You're not gonna be a seminary student, but you should actually know the character of God and how God thinks about the world. You should do all that. But I think the best way to engage God through the scripture is to meditate, and I'll give you a definition. I think meditation is 
taking what God has said in order to hear what God is saying. Now let me show you what I mean by that, I have a picture. What is that? How many stomachs does a cow have? Four. So what a cow does is they chew a little bit and then they kind of swallow it and it comes back up and they chew a little bit. And they so, what do you, so that's really gross. Thanks for running lunch, Darren. But what, what does that have to do with Bible meditation? Everything. Psalm 23.1. The Lord is my shepherd. What does that mean? The Lord, the Lord, God of the universe, King of kings, Lord of lords. The Lord, he's the Lord. And he's my shepherd? What's a shepherd? What does a shepherd do? Protects sheep. Protects sheep, shepherds had rods and staff, rods to beat off predators. Staves when the sheep would uh, go and get in the water and they would hook them and pull them back and keep them connected and keep them. So the Lord is my shepherd? That might just change your life. One verse can change your life. One verse can change your day. One verse could enliven your marriage. But you gotta chew on it. You gotta chew on it. Which means when you're doing your Bible reading plan, you're mining for gold. You're mining for gold and you're saying, Holy Spirit, show me one thing. I mean, I don't know about you, but I can't handle two things. It's not smart enough. I need, Lord, one thing, the Lord is my shepherd. I can, I can chew on that. And this is the path, I think, not only to prayer, but the gateway to other spiritual disciplines. Because when you start chewing on God's word, you're gonna wanna be by yourself, solitude. When you start chewing on God's word, you're, you're gonna wanna confess what God's doing in your life. Uh, maybe some sin, but also some good stuff to other people, and you're gonna be in community. Just, it leads into everything. Prayer and Bible study are the gateway drugs, right? Leading us into spiritual discipline. Those are two disciplines I encourage, and here are three questions. Where am I wasting time? Notice I didn't say if. And I know some of you are in weird seasons where you're going to school and you're working and maybe you have a family, and those are weird and strange seasons, but I guarantee you have five minutes. I guarantee you do. I dare you, I dare you, do an audit of your schedule for two weeks. I dare you, have the courage and humility, do it. Just write down, you're gonna find out where you're wasting time, right? You'll find out, surfing the internet, watching Netflix, right? Um, hanging out in the yard too long. I never knew why husbands always were in the yard when I was younger. I'm like, why are they in the yard all the time? <laughs> now I understand. <laughs> I don't want to be in there with craziness. <laughs> My kids, they were such sweet little angels. Now they're short little demons. Let me work in the yard. 
I don't want to have that hard conversation with my wife. Let me work in the yard. And ladies, you do the same thing. We don't have time to go into it, but your husband will let you know if you want to know. Where are you wasting time? And then here, what's harder? Thinking, feeling, or doing? What's harder? And then lastly, who's helping me grow? Do you have a band of brothers, a band of sisters that are in your life specifically to help you? They love you, they hang out, coffee, meals, activities, but in, in the meta-narrative, the big picture of what they want is they want you to be more like Jesus, to live as if Jesus were in your place. To think like he thinks, to feel what he feels, and to do what he does. You need those people in your life. And by the way, they're everywhere. They're all over the place. How do I find them? First step, pray. Second step is serve, get in a group, find a way to be around people. They're here. Now, let me, let me say a few more things. One, disciplines do not bring you closer to God. That's what Jesus did. Disciplines enable you to realize how close God is to you. Discipline does not gain you God's favor. Discipline helps you realize that you have God's favor. We don't do disciplines to get God to love us. We do discipline because God loves us. This keeps you out of the ditches. This kind of holistic engagement, head, hearts, hand, this is gonna give you the life you've always wanted. Let's pray. Father, thank you that you give us these practices, these tools to meet with you, and so we're grateful. Help us, Lord, to do the next thing you're calling us to do so that we can give more of ourselves to you. We know, God, when we give more of ourselves to you, two things happen. You get the glory and we get the joy. Help us to believe that and experience that. In Jesus' name, amen.